0: Welcome to Dunzo. This is a podcast that explores hookups and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. hello you some of my bitches welcome to episode 152 of Dunzo it is me Troy McEdie, and uh, you know what all i have to say honestly is wow wow bethany wow honestly i cannot believe it i am blown away we made it it's official today this is official there's no like i'm going to tie up some loose ends next week or any of that, this is happening today, we are ending, we are ending Whitney and Bobby, and it feels weird, I cannot believe that you guys have stuck with me for nine parts, this is the 10th entry, I believe, of this series, and I cannot believe that you guys stuck with me through it, I honestly want to start this episode by just saying thank you, thank you guys for being so supportive, thank you for like, allowing me to go on this like, not even just this, but like, in the rebranding of this podcast, like you're sticking with me and figuring out what it is, and like that's really cool. Um, I'm just super grateful, like, I'm so beyond grateful to you guys for like caring about my opinions on shit that I really have no business talking about. Um, <laughs> I'm really grateful for that. Today, we're gonna start by diving into the weird details surrounding Whitney's death. You guys know that I'm basically a tin hat conspiracy theorist. I don't know if you watch Better Call Saul, but like I'm basically his brother, just like fully cloaked in like foil with a foil hat on my head, like rocking in a living room and proud, by the way, I wear it proudly. I wear my tin foil proudly. I know for sure that millions of people have really weird feelings about Whitney Houston's death and the fact that her daughter, you know, almost died the exact same way. I mean, she basically did that a party took place under her while people knew she was upstairs dead in a fucking hotel room obviously we're going to talk but like there's a lot of really really weird shit surrounding Whitney Houston's death and it's like I'm not not even conspiracy weird but just generally fucking insane like could only happen to a person whose life is at this point has just become a full blown fucking spectacle And then halfway through the episode, we're going to switch over to Bobby Christina, and we're going to talk about uh, her relationship with Nick Gordon. We're going to talk about that fucking horrendous, abysmal Lifetime show that Pat Pat Houston tricked her into doing. Um, And we're going to talk about her death and the death of Nick Gordon. A really fun, uplifting episode today. One for the kids. Definitely gather the children around. We are discussing four deaths today, or three Whitney, Christi- Whitney, Bobby, Christina, Nick Gordon, three deaths. We were discussing three deaths today. That has to be a record. And then we're going to end by closing this chapter on Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown. And I mean, it's obviously, of course, not forever. I'm still doing the being Bobby Brown, you know, as bonus content for Patreon or whatever. But as far as like main feed episodes go, like, you know, this is it today. I'm going to finally be giving my sort of closing thoughts on this relationship. And, you know, it's crazy because it's like Whitney has become... First of all, let me just say that it feels sad to end this in a way that I don't think I felt in relation to ending any other series. And I think that that's because Whitney has become this like constant reoccurrence for me in the past like couple months. I'm just so used to like, I don't know, I'm so used to being immersed in Whitney Houston. Like, if I'm not, you know, taking notes for this podcast, like, I'm watching shit to get ready to take notes, or I'm listening to Whitney's music, or I'm watching Being Bobby Brown for bonus content, like, I live in a Whitney Houston world right now. But with that being said, it does feel like it's time, right? Like, it feels like it's time, I feel ready to be done with it, like I'm ready to just kind of do some, some, some like easy, fun-loving, sort of trivial, dumb shit that's just fun. I have some really awesome stuff planned that I know you guys are going to be obsessed with. I have some new exciting guests that I'm pumped to have on to add to the Dunzo registry because you know that this is like the Cortez once you check in, you never really check out. Everybody who is a guest on this podcast is a forever guest and you guys know that. Um, So I'm excited to incorporate some new voices and I don't know, that's all I got to say. Let's go ahead and get started. So where we left off in the previous episode, Sissy Houston had confronted Whitney at her home with a sheriff demanding that she go get help, Um, even using the sheriff to threaten Bobby, which was a particularly fun, fun thing to read about. About Bobby being scared that the sheriff, that the sheriff was gonna tackle him in their house. You know he was like high. He probably his hands were covered in paint because he had just gotten done drawing Illuminati eyes all over Whitney's clothes, and you know that to be true. It was reported that Whitney had entered uh, treatment at Crossroads, which was a facility created by Eric Clapton. And I also mentioned that Tina Brown, Bobby Brown's um, at the time, I don't know what's going on with, with Tina Brown or if she's with us or if she's sober or what the deal is, but at the time she was a crack addict and she sold information to the National Enquirer, including photos inside their rundown mansion and very famously the pictures of her bathroom. The headline read, Whitney's drugged in. And... While Bobby was in jail serving his 30-day sentence, Tina actually moved into their Atlanta house with Whitney. And according to her, Whitney had become obsessively paranoid to the point that she was imagining cameras hidden all over the house, spying on her in her home, Um, which like, I mean, I know that that's like psychotic, but also not for somebody who has been stalked her whole life. Um, She also told Tina that When she got high, she would see the devil like hiding in places in her house. On one occasion, apparently she was sleeping and she woke up to the devil standing over her body and looking her in her eyes. She reported that Whitney was self-inflicting bruises and like beating her body with her fists, but then convincing herself that the devil was beating her up, beating her up in their house. So who knows how much of that is true? Who knows how much of that, that beating thing is just her realizing that Bobby has like left bruises on her. Who fucking knows? These are three crack addicts in a house living together. And this woman is reporting on what she sees. And I'm using a lot of quote fingers. In relation to, um, this inquirer moment, Phaedra Parks actually did an interview with Vanity Fair Um, A lot of the notes that I have about Whitney's final days come from this really amazing Vanity Fair article that I read where they talk to all of the people in her life. They talk to Phaedra. They talk to her former assistants. They talk to tour managers. It's really good. Um, Phaedra said, Whitney felt betrayed. She obviously considered Tina to be family. And for her to release a story like that with with such derogatory comments and allegations, it broke Whitney's heart. Um, Whitney also asked Phaedra to Uh, I guess, meet her at the Palm Restaurant in Atlanta where they held hands and prayed. (sighs) That gave me goosebumps. Literally, the hairs on my arms are all pinging right now. We also talked a little bit last week about Whitney's abysmal comeback. And what I didn't know was that nobody in Whitney's camp actually wanted her to go on tour. I was under the assumption that they cattle prodded her out, obviously, But I've come to realize that the reason she did it was because she ran out of money to pay for rehab. She literally did the tour to pay for treatment because she didn't have enough to continue staying at, what was that place called? What is Eric, whatever Eric Clapton's place is called. It's not Promises, is it? Whatever it's called. She went out of money and being out on the road was what led to her self-destructing again. And I also recently found out from the previously mentioned Vanity Fair article that I'm going to keep reading from for a while, is that Whitney actually reached out to Stevie Wonder for advice on what to do about her voice. She told Stevie that her voice was in her her throat and that she couldn't sing anymore and that when she opens her mouth, nothing comes out and blah, blah, blah. So he connected her with this guy named Gary Katona, who... Uh, very famously worked with Liza Minnelli and Seal and Sade and Andrea Bocelli. This is his section of the Vanity Fair article. It says, I was told Whitney was beginning her so-called comeback, and without her voice, there is no comeback. He met her in her home in Alpharetta in the final days of her marriage. Her image was shot, her career was in the toilet, and Gary and Pat Houston, her brother and sister-in-law, were hovering around her like nurses in an emergency ward. My voice is stuck in my throat, Whitney told Katona. I try to sing, but nothing comes out. She looked thin. Her hair was a little messy, he says. She looked like someone who had gone through some kind of emotional trauma. Yet there was a spark. Singing was in her bloodline. The great Aretha told her, I'm passing the baton to you. Katona continues. Everyone was relying on her to make her comeback, not just for financial reasons, but for her own well-being. Katona demanded Whitney's full commitment, and she agreed. She wasn't a crooner, he explained. She had to sing from the very top of the capacity of the human voice. She was an alpha female, domineering, commanding, and people were scared of her. After a few hours of Katana's daily exercises, Whitney rented a house in Orange County, California. Determined to live with her daughter and without her husband, she blossomed, says Katana. She was the most devoted student I'd ever had. She focused on her health and tried her best to quit smoking. Once I forgot my keyboard and she thought I had left, says Katana, I went back in and she started coming to the door with a cigarette in her hand. She hugged me and I saw her flick the cigarette over my shoulder. Every time her voice would improve, I would stop working with her. And then she would go off and do something, a concert or a tour. Her handlers' intentions were not malicious. I think that they made some fundamental miscalculations. I told them she needs to build her voice. I spoke to her brother Gary about it quite a bit. Mind you, even though Whitney Houston was being absolutely obliterated by the media for not being able to sing anymore. She powered through it and she continued with these performances where people were literally getting up and booing her and like walking out and throwing shit on stage. You know, she did have a handful of positive moments that were enough to, I guess, keep her going, but she was also just generally fucking feeling herself, which I'm obsessed with. Like she was working out. She was making a strong effort to quit smoking, like he said. She had a facelift, which is actually crazy because she was turned down by a doctor in Beverly Hills originally, who um, obviously they make you take a physical and she didn't pass the physical because of her liver, lungs, and like kidneys, Anyway, um, but she performed in Sydney, which is notoriously one of the biggest gay markets in the world for a pop star. And Sydney was apparently very pro-Whitney, according to her tour promoter, who also was interviewed for Vanity Fair. He said, you could feel the will and the love in the room for her to hit that high note and I will always love you. He's referencing to the point David Foster calls the quote, boom and I moment. When the music explodes with a boom, then pauses and Whitney belts out an a cappella space 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 and i will always love you the sydney audience grew silent in anticipation and whitney nailed it it wasn't perfect pitch but it was really close she had not even finished the song when the audience stood up as one it was spine tingling she was nearly in tears and she was so proud of herself i also mentioned that i thought corinne steffens could have possibly been the quote other woman while bobby and whitney were going through their divorce and guess who else was interviewed for vanity fair Corinne Steffens herself, the queen of dick sucking. It says, In September of 2006, Whitney had Bobby served with divorce papers. He was in Los Angeles, occasionally staying with Corinne Steffens, a video dancer turned author, whose sexual encounters with celebrities fueled her series of erotic vixen books. When Whitney and Bobby fought, and they frequently did, Brown would sometimes head for LA and Steffens. Bob's big thing was everyone blamed him for her downfall, but when he met her, she was already using drugs, Steffens tells me. He always felt very angry about that. He told me, what everybody saw wasn't the real Whitney. He always said her private persona, which you actually did see on being Bobby Brown, was who she really was. All of Brown's credit cards were in the name of Nippy Incorporated, according to Steffens, and each time Whitney ordered him out, she would cancel him. During one separation, Brown, Steffens, and Brown's brother checked into the Ritz-Carlton and Marina Del Rey using Houston's credit card. They kicked us out of the hotel, says Steffens, and Bobby had to wait in Los Angeles until Whitney was ready to allow him to return to Atlanta. Steffens was having lunch with Bobby in Encino that day. He was served with divorce papers. She says the process server told him that he was giving him a residual check from Bravo for his work on being Bobby Brown. One evening soon after that, while Brown was licking his wounds in Steffens' home, the phone rang. It was Ray J. He said, is Bob still staying with you? Steffens told me. I said, yeah, he's right here. And Ray said, quote, tell him I fucked both his chicks, you and now his wife. And then he hung up. Now, before we get into the Ray J of it all, first of all, can we talk? We will, but can we? Anyway, before we get into all that, we do have to talk really quickly about the fact that Whitney... Was the executive producer of the Sparkle remake, which is like her last big project. It's a movie that she grew up watching religiously and always dreamt of doing. And the interesting thing about Sparkle and where it sort of fits into her life is that, you know, she knew that there was no more music career. There was no more music career for Whitney Houston, which is such a crazy thing to even roll off my tongue but her music career at that point was done. She she literally couldn't sing. There was no faking it anymore. Like if you look up those Australian performances of Whitney Houston, it is I mean, it is like I I don't I don't even know a person to compare it to. I really don't. And the thing that you have to do immediately after is cleanse yourself by watching her in the 80s. Just be a really 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 good boy or girl if you're going to be tampering and dark-sided stuff. I would suggest you watch an 80s performance right after because that's just very, very, very not Christian. Not to mention, she was also broke and she really, really needed the money from this movie. She needed this movie to do well and she needed a big paycheck from it because she had nothing coming in. She was at a point where her management was telling her that she was gonna end up homeless, that they were gonna take her homes away and that she couldn't afford to pay for another home. So she legitimately was not going to have a place to live So luckily, she had a movie career that she could fall back on. And her only, I guess, like the stipulation with her filming this movie was that she had to be drug tested weekly, which she did. And over time, a sober Whitney Houston had emerged. And she wasn't just sober. She was sober and passionate about what she was working on. And the co-owner of her production company talked about the fact that Sparkle gave Whitney a reason to wake up in the morning. It gave her a purpose. It gave her a destination. It gave her something to look forward to. Like, it was really, really, really good for her sobriety to have this big project that she actually cared about. This wasn't a soundtrack to some movie she didn't give a shit about. This wasn't a greatest hits album this was a movie that she had been wanting to do since she was a child. She was producing it herself and it was huge. She said that Whitney was laughing and just super, super happy on set. She was listening to music every day and Scream singing gospel and the cast was living for her gig and she was living for theirs and she was just jovial, happy, goofy, old school Whitney again. And the really sad thing is that when the production ended, you know, it was time for her to go back to Atlanta. And Atlanta had become a place where all of the bodies were buried. I mean, all of her demons were in Atlanta for so long. And she didn't want to go home because it was a place that was like sad for her. So she ended up, uh, the production manager found out later after she died that Whitney stayed. I think they were in L.A., She stayed in L.A. for like five days after the production of the movie had ended, and she didn't even tell anybody. She just didn't want to go home. Home is where she's, you know, waking up at 2 p.m. and has nothing to do all day except mull around in her house and try and resist the temptation to do drugs. But who's going to know? Because nobody's there. You know what I mean? So it's a recipe for disaster, and it's really sad. Now, this leads us to Whitney's very, very strange relationship with Ray J before her death. And the strange thing about it is that Whitney had known Ray J for about a decade before they started fucking. As I'm sure you've already put together, Ray J is Brandy's brother, in fact. And Whitney has always had a particularly close relationship to Brandy. She was her mentor for many years. So she's known Ray J since she, since he was a kid. He was a kid on the set of that movie. It's fucking weird. I have a quote from the Daily Beast that says, despite his reputation as a ladies man, Ray J still charmed Houston. According to friends, they had been casually seeing each other since her split from Bobby Brown in 2007. On paper, they may seem like a strange couple. She was a 48 year old diva and a single mother. He's a 31 year old star of a VH1 reality show called For the Love of Ray J. <laughs> oh, God. A dating show that was a crossover between The Bachelor and Flavor of Love. Winnie didn't seem to mind the R&B singer canoodling with a handful of women because Ray J claimed it was all just for the cameras. Ray was grounded in what was entertainment and what was reality, says a source. So he was able to separate. Ray J grew up with aspirations of becoming a minister, but settled on a career as a child actor when he was cast in The Simbad Show at age 12. He tried to distinguish himself from his sister, but continuously felt felt in her shadow. One of his most prominent roles was as a supporting character on Brandy's TV series, Moesha. Initially, he was always labeled as Brandy's little brother, says a source who knows Ray J very well. That was a real pain in his you-know-what. But he was able to set himself apart with a different kind of reputation. As he entered puberty, he started surrounding himself with women. When he was younger, 13, 14, 15, and 16, he was always around older women, says a source. The women have always liked Ray J, and Ray J has always liked the women. He spent his 20s flitting from one beautiful woman to the next, often to the benefit of his own career. Ray J might have appealed to Houston because he was the anti-Bobby Brown. He's a nurturing and protective boyfriend, and he seemed to always have Whitney's best interest at heart. Friends say they believe Ray J and Houston loved each other, even if they didn't have a traditional committed relationship. But others are less kind about his motives. One source points out how, just like Brown, Ray J was trying to pitch a reality TV series with him and Houston. He was just using her like many people did to get a deal, a source says. In an exclusive uh, be, better, in an exclusive statement to the Daily Beast, Ray J's publicist Courtney Barnes says, it was his show and they shot footage of the two of them together and appeared in a sizzle reel which was being shipped or being pitched to shows. I'm sorry, I'm overwhelmed. Ray J and Whitney Houston filmed a sizzle reel, a reality show exists, it's somewhere, that they were pitching to networks and they, by they, I mean him. Can you imagine if Ray J ended up actually tricking Whitney Houston into another fucking reality show? My God, during peak VH1, like let's exploit black people for all their fucking worth. I, I can you fathom? Another random thing that I forgot to mention last week is that in their court documents, Bobby claimed that Whitney had taken Bobby Christina with her to California for treatment without his consent. You know, Bobby hates treatment. He hated Whitney Houston going to treatment. He hated her getting help. He hated her in quotes, cleaning herself, as he used to call it. Um, He told a judge, uh, around about July of 2006, Whitney took Bobby Chris without my prior knowledge or consent and moved to Orange County, California, where Whitney received treatment for her drug addiction. Bobby Brown says in court documents, although I was having uh, severe financial problems, I did all I could to see my daughter. I came to California to be near Bobby Chris. I also paid approximately $10,000 for Whitney and Bobby Chris to live in a nice hotel. While Whitney was going through uh, rehab, I, while Whitney was going through rehab. Sorry, this is like Bobby's writing, so it's like actually pretty buck. While Whitney was going through rehab, I love Bobby Chris dearly. However, since Whitney has been awarded sole legal and physical custody of Bobby Christina, she has attempted to eliminate me from Bobby Christina's life. Whitney Houston had a very explosive couple weeks leading up to her death. Um, She got into a nightclub fight with a woman from The X Factor she had an impromptu live performance at a Grammy party with Kelly Price that is now famous. Um, I don't know if you remember, I'm not really going to go into detail about this, but she like walked into a live interview with Brandy and Monica and Clive Davis. She had like, had went swimming and her hair was wet and they're in the middle of a fucking interview and she walks in and she's like, hi baby. Hello baby. Hi, baby, hello. I went swimming. I can't stop. I can't stop swimming. Hello, baby. Hello, kisses, kisses. Hello, baby. And she's like, Clyde, this is my dad. This is my dad. This is my dad. Bobby, Chris. Bobby, Chris. Mommy, mommy. she starts calling Bobby, Bobby, Christina, mommy. And she goes, Christina, mommy, mommy, mom, mom, mom. This is my dad. This is my dad. This is my dad. Give your father a hug. Give your godfather a hug. Hug your grandfather. Hug your godfather. Hug him. Hug him. It's the weirdest, but it's just like so Whitney. And then she, the conspiracy theorists love this moment. She slides a note to Monica and she goes, this is for you, or to Brandy, sorry. She slides a note to Brandy and she goes, hi baby, this is for you. This is my dad. This is my dad. And Brandy looks at the note and she folds it up real quick. And hides it in her hand, and you can tell she's looking for somebody to give it to. She's looking for somebody to hand it off to. She's her face is very telling. She's extremely uncomfortable. Monica is handling it a lot better than Brandy. Monica's just being super fake. And she's like, Why won't you stop swimming? Stay out of that pool. It is just manic Whitney at her absolute finest, and it's it's insane. Now let's talk about this fight. This fight that was such a huge deal when it happened. I don't know how people have forgotten that this was a thing that happened. So apparently Whitney and Ray J were at a pre-Grammy party, like slash like nightclub thing, and they ran into an X Factor contestant named Stacy Francis. Stacy and Ray J had apparently known each other for like 15 years. Ray J was like, you know, this is family. Like she is literally friends with my family they've known each other for a very long time I don't believe that they were fucking I think that she literally was a family friend Whitney was drinking tequila she was feeling her oats and she wanted to show Stacy that she was the baddest bad girl in this house so when Stacy came over to talk to Ray Whitney very famously screamed <laughs> she said this is my man I'm a cougar bitch get away from my man she then placed her finger on Stacy's forehead and shoved it away to which Stacy gave in and shoved her back. She pushed Whitney Houston and they got into a little brawl over, over Ray J, over that Ray J dick, and uh, they were broken up by security. This fight was front page news all over the fucking world because it was so public that everybody in the club was a quote, source, (laughs) everybody was trying to get that like $15 check from TMZ for their their like a source says moment, so Whitney left the club with scratches on her body, she had scratches on her arms, she had blood dripping down her leg, and of course there were a million photographers outside waiting for her to leave because Whitney Houston is in the club getting drunk with Ray J on tequila in a fucking VIP booth, so delete. And they had a field day, and that woman later appeared on Celebrity Big Brother and talked about it in the house a lot. Apparently, I didn't watch, but if that's something that interests you, there you go. Whitney also very famously got on stage with Kelly Price at a Grammy event celebrating um, up and coming R&B artists, and she sang an impromptu rendition of Jesus Loves You, to which the crowd lost their fucking shit. Did she sound good? No. But was it Whitney Houston drunk at night singing on stage impromptu with Kelly Price? Yes. Um, and this would eventually go on to become her last onstage performance ever. Her last ever performance, which is insane. So the Friday before Whitney's death, she spent the night at the Beverly Hilton Hotel bar with a group of friends. It was reported that they were super drunk. They were loud. They were having fun. Whitney was partying like she was out fucking partying. She was getting hammered every night. And Whitney was staying at the hotel to attend Clive Davis's famous annual Grammy party. It's the pre-party. It's this very same party that, you know, three decades ago, Whitney Houston was introduced to the world at as a new artist. It was the first time she performed really as like a Clive Davis girl. So this is all very um, Shakespearean in like the saddest way possible. Um, she spent all of Saturday morning kind of planning for the event. Apparently she spoke to Dionne Warwick on the phone that morning to see, you know, where she was going to be seated at the table. She also spoke to Sissy Houston around 315. And it was at that point that, you know, everybody was like, so Whitney's fine. Everything's going to be fine. They were all trying to make sure that she went to the party. They were trying to like keep her sober long enough throughout the day that she attended the event and like could walk the red carpet. So then around 3.45 p.m., a 911 call was made that Whitney Houston was found unconscious in her bathtub and paramedics made an unsuccessful attempt to revive her and she was pronounced dead at 3.55. And the most odd thing about this was that celebrities were arriving at this party, pulling up in limos and fucking Alexander McQueen gowns and having to park next to the ambulance that's about to drive Whitney Houston's body away because she's dead upstairs. And it's now been reported by TMZ that Whitney Houston is dead. So everybody knows in the party that Whitney Houston is upstairs dead. An elevator right away, Whitney Houston's body is laying on the fucking ground. Clive told the press that it was what Whitney would have wanted. And, you know, I, I, I can't remember a time that I've read something for this podcast so asinine. I mean, it really has to be in the top three. Whitney Houston, a woman who from birth to death was closer to God than any person that she ever encountered in in the world, including her child. A woman who denounced the industry for years and had been mocked and ridiculed and parodied and memed and laughed at during the darkest moments of her life, her dying wish would have been for Clive to continue with his Grammy party while her body lays on a floor upstairs naked. It is, I I don't even have the fucking words. And this is why I'm happy that we're ending this today because I can't like, I can't be in this place for another month. Like it's just too fucking sad and too dark. I, I, I it's, it's absurd. And much like any other iconic, you know, prolific celebrity who passes away, there are an infinite amount of theories surrounding how and why Whitney died. Some people believe she committed suicide. Some people believe she was murdered by drug dealers because she had racked up a bunch of debt. Some people believe that Clive Davis had something to do with her death because celebrities are worth more dead than they are alive we all know that to be true especially for somebody who can no longer perform um i mean there's all kinds of conspiracies like shaka khan even at the party and i I do not believe shaka was sober when she made this statement but she literally at the party said like you know it's really sad that whitney houston is dead but celebrities are worth more money dead than alive so it's not surprising And that fueled a bunch of people being like, well, what did she mean? But it's true. I mean, immediately after Whitney Houston's death, so many different people were making money off of it and capitalizing off of it. And, you know, I realized a couple days ago that Pat Houston, the fucking evil bitch that I can't escape, was the executive producer of Whitney, the documentary on Hulu. I mean, so many people have profited off of Whitney Houston dying it's crazy, and I never believe that a celebrity like Whitney Houston who dies just dies the way that they tell. I, I don't know. It's not, I'm not trying to like fuel rumors or say that I think Whitney Houston was murdered, but I definitely think there's more to somebody's death, like a Whitney Houston or a Michael Jackson, than what um, is told to us through Huffington Post. It just is what it is. Like it, it that's just the facts. The Los Angeles coroner report stated that the official cause of death was drowning spurred by heart disease and cocaine use. And in Whitney's bathroom, there was a spoon with a tiny rolled up piece of paper sitting next to it, which they obviously believe was used for snorting cocaine. Um, As previously mentioned, they did find traces of cocaine and prescription medications in her body. Um, There were 12 different medications found in her room which included Xanax and a muscle relaxer, Um, but they were all prescribed by five different doctors. So to no one's surprise, Whitney was doctor shopping. Pat Houston told Oprah that Whitney was, in quotes, chasing a dream, looking for comfort, and looking for love, and it was younger love. And this is obviously in reference to her relationship with Ray J. Of course, the immediate blame you know she was no longer with Bobby she's out with Ray J she's getting in fights at fucking nightclubs and vip booths obviously people were like well what did Ray J give Whitney Houston that killed her you know he immediately got um a lot of blame for being someone who helped Whitney Houston sort of on her journey to dying it's also been reported that the crime scene was 100% tampered with which is also very very weird. It it was confirmed by the coroner's report. There's a 42-page coroner's report available on the internet that states that Whitney's ID was removed from her wallet. And um, she had a brown paper bag that was full of prescription medications that during the time that the police were coming in and out, somebody had taken the bag and they took all of the prescriptions out of the bag and sort of placed them around the hotel room so that people could see them. They were like presenting these pills so that they were accounted for, which is also very fucking weird. It was also reported that Ray J got the TMZ alert that Whitney Houston had died. So he rushed to the hotel and he tried to like barge his way in. The police wouldn't let him. Um, Apparently Dionne Warwick and Bobby Christina did the same thing. They found out what happened. They tried to get into the room The police wouldn't let them. Bobby Christina apparently got in like a loud, shrieking, screaming fight with the police that everybody heard. Um, And that's something that we'll get into a little bit later when we talk about Bobby Chris. A source told the Daily Mail that during Whitney's last days when she was in, you know, her sort of like party girl mode or whatever, that she spent a lot of time in a drug-fueled trance and that she was acting like a zombie It was also reported a couple weeks after her death that the hotel asked her, I'm sorry, they asked the coroner to keep her body upstairs because they didn't want, I mean, they obviously didn't want people at this party, and I'm sorry, I still can't get over the fucking fact that there's a party going on while Whitney Houston is being pulled out of a fucking bathtub dead. But they didn't want people at this party to see her body. Of course, they didn't want the spectacle of people being able to take pictures of her while she's being wheeled out. I mean, it was a whole thing. Like, you know, Alicia Keys is fucking downstairs on the red carpet pretending she's not wearing makeup and posing with a peace sign while Whitney Houston is dead. Like, I just can't, I can't get over it. Once Whitney's body was released, it was flown back to Newark, um actually by Tyler Perry. He was the one that uh, paid for her body to be flown. Um, Whitney was buried next to her dad. Her funeral was followed by a four hour homegoing ceremony at the New Hope Baptist Church. And Sissy Houston wrote in the funeral program, I never told you that when you were born, the Holy Spirit told me that you would not be with me for long. And I thank God for the beautiful flower he allowed me to raise and cherish for 48 years. The funeral guests included Oprah Winfrey, Mariah Carey, Stevie Wonder, Alicia Keys, Kevin Costner, Clive Davis, etc. Um, Bobby Brown was absent from the funeral, which obviously turned heads. People were wondering where Bobby was. Apparently, Bobby made a statement um, claiming that he was invited to the funeral and that he was uh, seated and security kept seating him places and And then security would have him stand up and move somewhere else. It was very obvious that the Houstons did not want Bobby at the funeral, but he was allowed to come because of Bobby Christina. So it was a whole thing. And he released a statement to the press saying, I failed to understand why security treated my family this way and continue continue to ask us and no one else to move. He said, security then prevented me from attempting to see my daughter, Bobby Christina, in light of the events, I gave a kiss to the casket of my ex-wife and departed as I refused to create a scene. My children are completely distraught over the event. Um, This was a day to honor Whitney. I doubt Whitney would have wanted this to occur. I will continue to pay my respects to my ex-wife the best way that I know how. I'm going to move on to Bobby Christina and... At the end of the episode, obviously I'm going to give like my final thoughts about Whitney and Bobby and Robin and and everything. Um, but I do want to talk about Bobby Christina because there's a lot that went on with her after her mother's death as well. Um, so I'm going to run down this timeline of events that happened in Bobby Christina's life and we're just going to unpack them. As previously mentioned... During their divorce, Whitney was granted full custody of Bobby Chris. And she told the court that Bobby was unreliable and would regularly make promises that he couldn't keep because he, I mean, he was broke. Like, he literally couldn't afford to fly on his own. Like, Whitney paid for him to exist, basically. And from what I've read, it seems like Whitney started to shower Bobby Christina with material things and gifts to make up for the fact that she had not only been neglectful, But that she wanted to, you know, she wanted Chrissy on her side. Like, this is classic divorced parents. It's like, choose me. Don't choose your dad. Love me the most. Hate him with me. You know, this is already a really weird, unbalanced, unhealthy situation. So it makes complete sense that in their divorce, they put Bobby Christina in the middle in a way that's completely just inappropriate and mentally abusive. So begins this strange, sort of codependent era of Chrissy and Whitney's lives together, where they became best, best friends, drinking buddies, confidant, you know, shoulder to cry on, drug friend, etc. Bobby Christina is now her mother's caretaker and protector, and drinking friend, and the person that she does drugs with. And in May of 2008, it was reported that Bobby Christina tried to commit suicide. She had allegedly pulled a knife on her mom and then attempted to slit her wrists. Um, She was rushed to a psychiatric ward and kept there for observation. And when I read that, it immediately reminded me of a moment in the documentary where Whitney's assistant, who basically helped raise Bobby... I mean, she basically did raise Bobby Christina, let's be honest. Um, She talks about This moment where, you know, out of frustration, Bobby Christina says, like, sometimes I wish I could kill her. Like, sometimes I wish I could kill my mom because of what she has put me through. And, you know, Bobby Christina lashing out and running at her mom with a knife is very that, you know, it's just so, it's so sad. So fast forward to 2012, Whitney passes away on February 11th and That evening, Bobby Christina is taken out of the hotel on a stretcher after, you know, getting in a screaming match with the police for not letting her see her mom. She was taken um, back to the hospital the following day and a statement was released to TMZ that she was hysterical, exhausted and, and inconsolable. So God only knows what she was on, what she had taken, what she tried to do. Like truly God only knows at that moment what a girl interrupted Bobby Christina had done. It's just like, and the fact that she had to be taken out of the hotel that her mom just died in on a fucking stretcher is just like with everybody seeing, I mean, there were were pictures of her you know, on the internet of her, like, in hysterics, like, in the stretcher, it's just, it's fucked, also keep in mind, keep in the back of your head that it's being reported that Bobby Christina is set to inherit 12 million dollars from her mother's estate, because obviously Whitney left everything to her, and 12 million dollars is what she had left, that's, that was it, the whole thing was going to Bobby Christina, And the Houston's were not happy about that considering Bobby Christina was in the midst of, you know, rightfully so. She was in the midst of, like, a mental breakdown. She was leaning into her addiction issues. Um, God only knows what she would have done with that money. A few hours after her mom's funeral, the Daily Beast reported that Bobby Christina disappeared to get high. Her family went on, you know, a full, like, panicked, you know... Amber Alert search for her when they realized that nobody could find her. They obviously thought she had killed herself. And uh, a source told the Daily Beast, everyone was freaking out and calling Bobby Christina's cell. One source, um, said one source, a longtime family friend. It was so much commotion and activity after the funeral that Bobby Christina just slipped away. Uh, Mrs. Sissy Houston was beside herself. Sissy and others won't admit it out loud, but Bobby Christina does have a drug problem, said the family friend. But they do know it, and they've been trying to keep her straight even before Whitney passed. But losing your mother and the life you've you've grown accustomed to all in one day is enough to send anybody off the deep end. Even before the funeral was held Saturday, the family had serious discussions about Bobby Christina entering into some rehab program as soon as her mother was laid to rest. According to multiple sources familiar with the conversations, They say that she spent the night after her mother's death using drugs to dull the pain. Bobby Christina entered rehab for a drug problem early last year, says one family friend who spoke to the Daily Beast um, and a longtime associate. The Houston family spokesperson would not comment on the matter. Bobby Christina arrived in New Jersey shortly before her mother's body was flown in last week and was said to be coping better in the days before the funeral. She had the people she loved and, and loved her the most around her, one source told the Daily Beast. Um, Miss Sissy Houston was holding her tight and watching her every move. Still, things fell apart again for the teenager at the actual funeral services when her father, Bobby Brown, attempted to enter with nine other people. Security allowed them in but seated the group separately and wouldn't allow them to see Bobby Christina. Brown caused a scene complaining. That was just too much for Bobby Christina to handle at the time, says another source at the funeral who witnessed the conversation and saw Bobby Christina was visibly upset. All that drama and Sissy finally asking him to come in and stay, but Bobby wouldn't. Sissy only did that to help Bobby Christina because Sissy cannot stand Bobby. She just she just didn't want a big drama with him on the day, on that day of all days. The family friend added that Houston would have indeed wanted Brown and his family to attend the funeral and wanted Bobby Christina to grow closer to her father. Houston financially supported most of Brown's family for the duration of their of their marriage. After the couple's divorce in 2007, Brown moved on, became engaged, and had another child. That hurt Bobby Christina, and you know that that hurt Whitney, said the source. Bobby Christina saw her father keep it moving and leave them behind. Whitney had accepted it to some extent, but Bobby Kay is still so angry um, and was angry even before her mother had died. And it was confirmed that after the funeral, Bobby Christina was found by a family member at a hotel getting high. In March of the same year, Bobby Christina was interviewed by Oprah and told her that it was her job to carry on her mother's legacy. Um, She told Oprah that she no longer desired a relationship with her father and that she planned on changing her last name to Houston. It was also reported that Bobby Christina wanted to play her mom in a film about her life. And I'm sorry, but you cannot convince me that a celebrity death is not big business. Like, her... The film adaption of her life was already in the works and her body was barely cold. Like, how does that even happen? Tyler Perry also said publicly that he was going to cast her in one of his god-awful fucking laugh track television shows. Um, then in July of 2012, all fucking hell broke loose. Bobby Christina announced to the world that she was engaged to her unofficially adopted brother, Nick Gordon. Let's talk about Nick Gordon for a second, shall we? Nick Gordon was adopted unofficially by Whitney Houston at age 12. And he was raised alongside Bobby Christina. They sort of unofficially grew up together and, um, they became really, really, really super close after Whitney's death. Bobby Christina released a statement via Facebook saying, Yes, me and Nick are engaged. I'm tired of hearing people say, Ew, you're engaged to your brother, or if Whitney was alive, would be if Whitney was still alive, would we be together or would she approve of this stuff? Let me clear up something. We aren't even real brother and sister, nor is he my adoptive brother. My mom never adopted him. In fact, mommy was the one who even said that she knew that we were going to start dating. My mom knows me better than any of you. A lot of y'all are saying that y'all are only saying this out of love, which is bull, because if so, you would want, all you would want is for me to be happy. People need to seriously stop judging my relationship. Pretty sure it's my own decision who I want to be with. Yes, my relationship may not be perfect. We will have our rough patches just like every other relationship. And we have had our rough patches. You may or may not agree with my relationship. You may or may not respect it. Judge me. Go ahead. Your opinions are yours and mine are mine. It is my life and not yours. The decisions I make have nothing to do with you. Good night. Cut to October of 2012, several months after the death of her mother, Pat Houston convinces a grieving Bobby Christina Brown to star in a scripted lifetime reality television show about their lives after the death of Whitney. The show revolved around Chrissy's grieving process and Pat Houston managing her career and pushing her into acting and singing. And people talk about being Bobby Brown as this like horrifically trashy, disgusting, lowbrow show because it's too real and Whitney Houston farts and blah, blah, blah. You wanna talk about horrifically trashy and lowbrow? Look no further than the Houstons on our own. Let's also not forget the fact that this entire family knows how much filming a reality show ruined not only Whitney's life, but the the life of her child as well, obviously. Filming a reality show basically turned her family into the wild and wonderful Houstons of Atlanta, R- literally ruined her family. Not that they weren't already fucked, but they really, really ruined her life. Yet they all decide to shove cameras in the face of a mm, 20-year-old girl who is Right in the the beginning stages of her grieving process. They want to document her grieving for a fucking paycheck on Lifetime of all places. It's not like you were doing this on fucking HBO or like Vice or something interesting. This is on Lifetime after Little Women Atlanta. Like this is fucking trash. And Pat Houston deservingly got her ass handed to her when this show premiered by the media and by fans, everybody was like, bitch, what the fuck are you doing? She was finally exposed as the money hungry, manipulative snake that she has always been. And she defended her choice by saying that Bobby Christina has been in front of camera since she was a little girl. So it's something that shouldn't affect her. That's literally what this woman said. And by the way, Pat Houston is not a fucking Houston. She's married into the the fucking family. I'm not even going to get into that, but like Pat Houston isn't even a Houston and somehow she's become the person who just chooses what happens to this girl. Obviously, she's a fucking psychopath. It's just insane. Ironically, I found a Gawker article, oof, Gawker article that's uh, very similar to the one written about being Bobby Brown so many years prior. Um, It's super interesting. It says, last night, Lifetime debuted their first uh, two episodes of The Houstons On Our Own, the latest chapter in the year-long public grieving of the death of Whitney Houston. The series features Gary Houston, Whitney's brother, Pat Houston, Gary's wife, and Whitney's manager slash best friend, Raya Houston, Gary and Pat's daughter, Sissy Houston, Whitney and Gary's mother, and most voyeuristically, the, by nearly all reports, troubled daughter of Whitney and Bobby Brown, Bobby Christina Brown. And of course she's troubled. Her dad got his second DUI this year. She's a child star by default because of her famous parents and their inclusion of her in their 2005 Bravo series being Bobby Brown. The spotlight Bobby Christina had a hard legacy to live up to. And then her mom, whose ferocious love for her daughter was a parent, died. If you had any question as to whether reality TV was a bad place to mourn, look no further than this joyless The Houstons on our own. There is little indication that Bobby Christina is headed for anything but ruin, as the 19-year-old frequently drinks on camera, stumbles around like it's more than alcohol um, that she is inebriated on, and is attached to the side of her fiancé or something, Nick Gordon, who's not exactly her brother, but was, in quotes, unofficially adopted by Whitney at age 12. Rarely has the phrase train wreck seemed so specifically tailored to describe a show. This is neither instructive nor entertaining, just simply tragic. Though Whitney laughed about being Bobby Brown in retrospect, and despite a similarly tragic subtext, there was a lot of humor, love, and insight into the price of fame to be found on that show. She did seem to regret her participation when Oprah Winfrey asked her about it in 2009. The takeaway is that when you're a public figure in a messy state, it's probably not the best idea to show it to the world. Bobby Christina has every right to be messy right now, though I wish she wouldn't follow in the substance-reliant footsteps of her parents, which makes watching this so damn difficult. In January of 2013, Nick Gordon and Chrissy announced their marriage on Twitter. And the biggest criticism obviously being the fact that, you know, they've referred to each other as siblings or whatever. Um, Sissy Houston even referred to their relationship as incestuous to the media um, then exactly a year later, it's being reported that Chrissy is set to receive the first chunk of this $12 million payout from her mom's death. And the problem was that Bobby Christina was obviously in a horrifically dark, you know, state of mind. She was fully, fully addicted to so many things at that point. Um, I mean, can you imagine what a a drug addict teenager would do with a million dollars just being deposited into their account. The other really big problem was that when Whitney set up this trust, it was determined that, you know, when Bobby Christina was a teenager, she should be good to use it by 21. And, you know, they hadn't really like revisited the rules and stipulations of this trust since they signed off on it. Whitney had also been pretty vocal about the fact that, you know, 21 may have been a little too soon Like, she wasn't sure if Bobby Christina would be mature enough at 21 to have $12 million deposited into her account. But it was too late. There was nothing that they could do. Now, this is where shit really gets messy. So Whitney's brother, Michael, got into a fistfight with Nick Gordon at a Sweet 16 party for a Houston relative. And Michael Houston told TMZ that it was because Nick was disrespectful to their family. So then Pat Houston acquired a restraining order against him after he posted some pictures on Instagram of guns. Then Bobby Christina posted this photo on her Instagram of her emaciated. Um, She's now being ridiculed on the internet on top of like losing her mom. She's being made fun of because she's so thin. So she's having to defend her body. And it's like, how fucking crazy that she's now, she has taken the place of her mother, media-wise. She is to be ridiculed in the same way, it's completely fine. Suddenly, nobody sees any issue with telling Bobby Christina Brown, months after the death of her fucking mother, knowing what kind of family she comes from, knowing how she was raised, People have no problem telling her that her body's gross, she's too thin, she's skeletal, she looks like a crackhead, you know, lay off the drugs, you look like your mom, blah, blah, blah. Insane. Fucking insane. I swear to God, I don't think any of us have frontal lobes. I know I always blame it on teenagers, but it's like, do any of us have frontal lobes? Are any of us truly capable of compassion? I really honestly don't know. I think the internet has taken it away. On January 31st of 2015, Bobby Christina was found unconscious in her bathtub at her Georgia home. Um, She was found by Nick Gordon and a friend. So they gave her CPR. They called 911. Bobby Christina then arrived at the hospital barely breathing, but she was alive and she was placed in a medically induced coma. We find out through all of this drama that they were never actually married Um, It was all just like, I don't know, attention seeking shit for the for the for the gram or whatever. Uh, Nick then made an appearance on the a horrendous appearance on the Dr. Phil show where he appeared to be, you know, super unstable and he's slurring his words and he can't focus his eyes and he's like drooling and his eyes are rolling back like he's fucked up. He tells Dr. Phil that he has. You know, issues with depression and substance abuse, and he's suicidal and he's using drugs now that Bobby Christina is in a coma. He wants to die. Um, He went to rehab immediately following the taping of the interview, and it's reported the following day that he's now under investigation for attempted murder. He gets served with a $10 million civil lawsuit filed by the Brown family on Bobby Christina's behalf. And it's alleged that he physically assaulted Bobby Christina, stole thousands of dollars from her. And in court, it comes up that one of them acquired Bobby Christina, like access to her phone. And they saw that she was texting people and saying like, I want to leave Nick. He's not the man that I thought he was. Um, And they saw a bunch of stuff that was incriminating enough that the court was like, okay, maybe he did try and kill her. Bobby Christina spent six months in a coma. And there's all kinds of crazy shit, you know, that is in relation to that as well. You know, Bobby Christina now has access to this money. You know, did somebody murder her because they wanted the $12 million? Did she try and kill herself? So it's like her life imitating her mom's in this rapid fire way right after her mom's death. And it's so, it's just so heartbreaking to watch. Bobby Christina died on July 26th of 2015. She was 22 years old. Nick Gordon was immediately put on a suicide watch after the news broke that she had died. Um, she was buried in New Jersey next to her mom and grandfather. Her autopsy report was released on her 23rd birthday. And the medical examiner determined that Bobby Christina died from complica- complications caused By her face being immersed in water, along with drug intoxication, the official cause of death was listed as pneumonia. They also stated in the autopsy um, that they couldn't determine whether or not her death was intentional or accidental. And Nick Gordon was found liable for wrongful death. Um, I mean, he didn't show up to the hearing. He was ordered to pay $36.00 million dollars in a wrongful death suit and then cut to january of 2020 nick gordon dies of a fucking overdose on new year's day as if this story couldn't get more weird and tragic and just like just so complicated and fucked and that whole time that bobby christina was on life support was just like i mean it was so it was gut-wrenching because it was like at a certain point you know, enough time had passed that she was a vegetable. And then all of these, you know, reports were coming out that even if she did wake up, she wouldn't have any motor skills and her brain had been idle for so long that, you know, she basically wouldn't, she would be a vegetable. She would come out of a coma and be in a coma. Um, Bobby Brown is now, of course, happily married to a woman named Alicia Etheridge they have three children together. I'm not really sure how Bobby Brown makes his money. I do know for sure that they came out with like a, a a family barbecue sauce and spice rub for ribs. But I don't know where Bobby's paychecks are coming from. I'm actually, honestly, I'm shocked that we haven't seen, um, you know, like more reality TV moments from Bobby Brown. He loved it. He loved it. He thrived I'm really shocked that we have not seen Bobby try and exploit his current family on reality TV, or maybe, just maybe, he learned some form of a lesson in his relationship with Whitney, um, but even in the past 10 years, like, I'm shocked that we never saw Bobby on, like, Celebrity Apprentice or some fucking cupcake baking celebrity show on Food Network, like something, you know what I mean? I am I really am genuinely shocked by that. I really do not know uh, who Bobby reports to as far as HR. I I have no idea. Whitney Houston and Robin's relationship was never really the same after she gave her the ultimatum of choose Bobby or choose me. And, you know, Robin is also married and has, you know, twins with her partner. And after Whitney's death, Bobby finally admitted for the first time ever that Whitney would probably be alive if Robin was allowed to continue her friendship with her. Um, And he also said that Robin was her last real friend and that after Robin, she had never really had a real friend and that Robin was probably one of the only real friends that she ever had. And this is it. Oh my God, this is it. Fuck, we did it. Holy shit. I feel like I'm supposed to end this by saying something prolific because this was such a feat. Um, but I don't know if I have anything else to say. I think that I, I think I mentioned it all. Um, I guess the one thing that I will say is that I hope your takeaway from this series was that, you know, Whitney Houston was so much more than just like a songbird. Whitney Houston means so much more to popular culture than being a lady who used to sing ballads and dresses you know she literally defines pop culture she is pop culture she is her, like her thread through the fabric of America is so fucking thick <laughs> and it means so much and it's so prominent and it's so important that even if you aren't a Whitney Houston fan you are a fucking Whitney Houston fan and she is still the woman with the number one best-selling single in the history of music, she's arguably one of, one of, if not the most important female black artist in fucking history, and that's what I, I hope that she's remembered as, you know, um, I don't know, thank you guys so much for listening to this, I'm very happy to be done with it, but I'm very happy that we got through with it, and I'm I'm so fucking grateful that you stuck with me through it. We are going to continue the Whitney journey on patreon.com slash solidlisten. If you're interested in some Being Bobby Brown content and you haven't listened to it yet, I really suggest that you do. It is at the $5 level for everybody who messages me saying, where the fuck is it? It is at the $5 level on patreon.com slash I love you guys very much and um, I will see you next week with some random, fun, uh, stupid content that is not dark and doesn't involve deaths. Bye. Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com solidlisten for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McEady and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at Dunzo Pod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew.